You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. It's a funny thing. The older I get, the more I notice the gender inequality around me. And while I try my best with both my son and my daughter, my son's three, my daughter's five, I still worry that it's not enough. And when I say I do my best, I mean my husband and I both share the domestic load at home. We both work, uh, and I also try not to put any barriers on what they can do. Professor Andrew Martin is a leading educational psychologist at the University of New South Wales. Some of his research has found that despite our best efforts, there's still some work to do when it comes to raising our boys and girls with the same perceptions of their ability. He joins us in the studio to explain. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, I guess um, at the very extreme end, what we're talking about is um, what we term imposter syndrome. I find that really interesting because when I speak to my peers and I think about my own attitude to my work and what I do, so many women have imposter syndrome. Is this something that you're seeing starting very young? Yes. Yeah, so, so imposter syndrome, uh, it's mostly researched, for example, in the workplace amongst women. And so you'll find women in, um, you know, high ranking positions or reasonably high ranking positions doubting their um, entitlement to be there whether they're really up to the job. Uh, they sometimes feel like a, you know, uh, a mediocre person ma- uh, masquerading as someone who's, who's got away with it this far, and, but I'll be found out one day. And so the factors that underpin the imposter syndrome are things like uh, relatively higher anxiety, uh, fear of failure, uh, and also uh, a sense of what we call uncertain control, where you, where you, you know, you you don't feel entirely on top of things. There's always something more you could be doing <laughs> to get on. That top sounds of like things. parenthood, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, indeed, indeed, and I can speak as a male as a parent as well, yeah. so I feel that too. <laughs> um, and and this also not taking enough credit for your successes and things like that, and so. We find that that does start early in life. We do find there are you know gender differences quite early in life around, for example, academic anxiety that that will start cutting in even in primary school and and the lower years of that even in kindergarten, for example, where we find girls are a little more anxious than the boys and um, and indeed many parents would say, I wish my son was anxious. That would mean he, <laughs> that would mean he cared. Uh, but uh, but no, you, you don't you you don't want the anxiety in your life. And so these these factors that start playing into imposter syndrome down the track, we find very early, and so our research is, uh, you know, from, from K through to year 12, uh, or prep or reception, depending on where you are in the country, uh, and uh, we find these factors start playing out early. And over time, um, they can be amplified uh, because our um, our society isn't very good at, at allowing girls to, to take credit for their successes. And, you know, I think it's fair to say we will see, you know, uh, you know female leaders and politicians probably getting a harder time on some things than, uh, than males would doing the same sorts of things or making the same sorts of decisions. So, so over time that, uh, that can start piling up. Having said that, we know that, that homes and schools can do a good job of starting to buffer that sort of stuff and, and you know, I'm happy to talk about that. I'm curious because I, I have been thinking about this recently with my own children. So my daughter uh, starting at kindy and I, I would have thought that we had no gender stereotypes in our house and that our kids have just naturally moved to what it is that they enjoy. But I was watching them and I was thinking, yeah, we, we, 
we kind of almost, you know, we read more to my daughter than we've been reading to my son. And that happened accidentally because he gravitates towards the iPad more and I've, you know, we're trying to get that out of the way. We're trying to get more reading in. But unconsciously, I sort of thought, oh, you know, I was really on top of it with her in terms of reading from a very young age. And we do read to my son and he loves books, but he just hasn't been read to as much as my daughter. So I'm wondering even, I mean, I know this is maybe a bit before your research, but I'm wondering even before they get to primary school, are these are we unconsciously having expectations of our girls and boys that we're not even aware of, you know, like, oh, well, he would rather play with a car and she wants to sit down and nut something out. I don't know. Are we doing that, do you think? Yeah, look, and look, there's, there's, there's the interplay of two things. One is, um, is nature and the other is nurture or environment. And it is known that, for example, boys before school are more externalising Uh, a little more physical. We do know that early in life and all the way through school very much, girls have their their executive functioning, their capacity to be organised, capacity to plan, their working memory, their impulse control. uh, That's a little ahead of boys at a very, very young age. And so so we have those factors uh, that that play into. So if if you've got good executive functioning, you're able to control impulse, you are more inclined to be able to sit down and listen to a story and play off through a difficult first page, for example, where whereas a, a boy may, you know, their attention spans a little lower, uh, a little uh, lower on the impulse control side of things, and so they're more like to jump up. Oh, look, I'd just rather do this. So there's that aspect. Now those differences aren't huge, but they but they are there. Then comes environment, and so that interacts with those differences that exist, um, and uh, and so it's. Having sort of, you know, my kids having sort of nearly completed school, um, I I realise that, uh, you know, as much as we do try and uh, create a microcosm in the home that's sort of free of these things, in the end we are part of our macrocosm. We are part of our culture. We're part of our society. And through direct and indirect ways, we re- reproduce that as, as much as, and I think we can, we can bring that off the boil a lot and do a pretty good job of resisting a lot of the unhelpful ones. But we are also socialized creatures ourselves as parents. And so inevitably, we're going to haul things into the way we interact with our kids and the sorts of materials that are brought into the house and the sorts of gifts we might give them and the sorts of activities we'll direct them and how long we'll persist with one activity with a girl as opposed to a boy. And those, those sorts of things um, will come in directly or indirectly as a function of our own socialising. It is pretty impossible to be able to fully disentangle yourself from the society in which you operate. Having said that, being mindful of the dynamics that go on in society, we're in a much better position to be able to uh, challenge some of those stereotypes that can be actually very unhelpful for both boys and girls. It's funny because even when you when you say that, even my I was watching my kids dance the other day and my son was just cutting the dance floor. And I just said to him out of the blue, would you like to do dance classes? And it hadn't occurred to me to ask him just simply because his sister hadn't wanted to. So it wasn't that I wasn't um, putting him into a class because he was a boy, it was I was, wasn't putting him in a class because she didn't do any. Yeah. But in doing that, I had actually reinforced a stereotype that he didn't want to do it. Yeah, indeed, because of the uh, the the fact that you simply weren't 
in that world because the, the your daughter wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and so you, yeah. And, so and, inevitably, just, a, shut uh, yeah, off just, an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and you're not to be blamed for any of that. Uh, it's just we absorb the way the way society um, operates. And but mindfulness about the, how that can limit our boys and girls is really important. And you were mindful in that situation. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Professor Andrew Martin from the University of New South Wales. He's a professor in educational psychology. And we're talking about, uh, I guess, the gender differences between boys and girls, particularly how that impacts their learning and education. And we were just talking, we started off talking about imposter syndrome, and then we were talking about all sorts of things that can influence, um, inadvertently influence the way we look at our children um, and you have mentioned several times, Andrew, about ways that we can uh, perhaps buffer the social conditioning for, that our children are getting once they leave the home. One of the things I really picked up on was you, you mentioned that you found that girls have a lot of anxiety and um, fear of failure. How can we nip that in the bud? How can we help them? Because we're often told as parents, just don't just praise willy-nilly. Don't praise them for everything. Don't build them up for everything because then you're hurting their resilience. What are your tips on managing that? Yeah, so anxiety is a really interesting beast because a lot of a lot of girls will channel their anxiety by if I'm worried about about doing poorly, I'll try harder. And so they become very diligent and well-organized and work till, you know, midnight on assignments and all that sort of stuff. Whereas that's not so much the case with boys. With many boys it is, of course, but on average it's not the case. Um, And so we want to retain uh, the diligence that girls are rolling out and uh, and the effort and the application. And so they're good things to hold on to. But at the same time, we want to change the reasons why they're doing that. Uh, And so for many girls, the reason is fear of failure-based and and anxiety based and one one of the big reasons is because they're, they're frightened of failure and the reason they're a little more frightened of failure than the boys is because they tend to internalize failure disproportionately I should add uh, so they tend to sort of really blame themselves when something goes wrong uh, you know beat themselves up a bit longer than a boy will uh, and uh, for making a mistake and so on and uh, and so um, you know often quite hard on themselves and so it's really important to have girls see mistakes in a different way so and it is a truism mistakes are an opportunity for growth if you think about success when you've succeeded or got something right, you're sort of maxed out, if you like. There's no more learning on top of that. Uh, it's good because it boosts your self-esteem, and it's good because it tells you you're doing the right sort of stuff. But after that, there's not much more out of success. Where are the real growth opportunities? It's, it's the growth opportunities where there's a, the gap between where you are now and where you can be. And by definition, therefore, mistakes and setbacks and all that are actually growth opportunities. And so rather than beat yourself up and say, I'm hopeless, I'm dumb, uh, and that sort of stuff, uh, or di- take disproportionate response, take a lot too much on board, encourage your daughter to see that this is a growth opportunity. This is where... Are you saying that I have to make mistakes in front of her? Because that <laughs> ah, happens. Indeed. indeed. I'm not saying you would ever make a mistake, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're good models. Um, and, uh, and so that's, um, and that's the, the lesson we try and, we try and teach uh, young people and children uh, who are fearful of failure and so on. Now, on the other side, boys have their own little lesson in this, and we find boys don't take 
enough responsibility for the mistakes they make. Uh, it's often someone else's fault and so on. And so uh, the risk is that you keep making the same mistake and get it again. Uh, and we see that as well. Uh, and so, uh, so the lesson for boys is, well, maybe you want to have another look about what part you might have played in, in this. You know, the fact that you actually did no study for that exam might be, you know, might, <laughs> might be a reason you got a dud mark and not because you got a dud teacher. Uh, but anyway, well, but that, that's the boys' side. So they've got their own lessons if, and for, for different reasons. And in terms of uh, teaching that it's okay to um, make mistakes, when they're young, is it does it work to give them examples? You know, like to say, you know, mummy used to make mistakes all the time or you see mummy making mistakes all the time. But I, when I do that, I learn because I have seen in my daughter, she's only five and a half, but she's told me she's stupid or she's dumb. And I'm like, where do you get that from? I would never say that I'm stupid or dumb out loud. <laughs> but I wouldn't say it in front of her. I'd, I'd never call her stupid or dumb. We don't use those words in our house. And yet at five and a half with only two or so terms, three terms at school, I should say, she has this language. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. And uh, and, you, and you do the forensic of your own home and you do the forensics of your own parenting and what am I possibly saying? And uh, and so, look, I think in indirect ways we, we do a lot of modelling and uh, and uh, and so, uh, you know, the comments we might make make to ourselves as we make a mistake and or, you know, if, if you know, for in, for other parents where children never see someone take responsibility, that's, there's a, always a blame game going on in the home. It's always someone else's fault. They're the sort of the two extremes when when kids see their parents never taking it's always you know it's always the government it's always this it's always that it's always, it's always my boss. husband <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so uh and so that's and so you, you you know that's that's one end of it but the other is where where you know you see parents um really uh really taking on a lot of responsibility for things and 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 you know a, a child watching perfectionism for example in a parent uh and those sorts of traits where where they just see someone just over investing just for sheer fear of not doing well and not being perfect and so on. So I think there's these two ways of just simply operating. But also I think it's the case again, part of society. So for example, you know, I'll be I'll be a um, you know in a in a classroom for example, and I'll see um, a boy displaying a particular behaviour um, that's not not commendable in any way, but but he will often be characterised, for example, as a lovable rogue. Uh, whereas a girl behaving in that, that's a badly behaved girl and what's going on there. And, uh, and so uh, girls don't behave like that. And so you see at a very young age that the, the same behaviour is washed through two separate lenses for boys and girls. And, uh, and I think schools are doing a better job of, of dealing with that sort of thing, but, it, but schools are very much a function and reflection of society as a whole. Uh, and so the same sorts of things, for example, that a professional woman or, or a high-profile woman would do, as a, as a male would do, and it's interpreted very differently. I'm not going to raise any cases right now, mm. but we can often see, you know... Oh, uh, it's that, obvious. Yeah, that, that, that that's the case. And so, um, so we do, we do ha- we have two lenses through which to... Uh, uh, to interpret the same behaviour. And so that's why uh, even a girl at a young age may be saying, oh, I'm stupid and, and, and so on, whereas, uh, whereas you know, a boy might be a little more likely, A, not to really worry too much about it and B, you know, be reasonably good at finding someone whose fault it was. <laughs> Another thing that you found in your research, that even though girls may like particular subjects like 
STEM subjects, they'll still choose what they think they should be choosing. I'm guessing the arts, English, those base subjects. I find that really interesting because there seems to have been a huge push to get more girls and women involved in STEM. Is it just not filtering down yet? Do you think? Or yeah, I think I think it'll be it'll be really interesting to watch that over the next five to ten years because there is uh, a push, and even in in our research, we're, we're researchers at university, and so there's a you know real push on research on how to get more women in STEM and so on. So so it'll be interesting to see you know five to ten years how that plays out. Um, having said that, uh, for all the similar reasons that we've been discussing, um, some school some subjects are seen as you know with subjects that girls should or shouldn't do, and the same for boys. Uh, we find there can be uh, between school differences in that, however. Some schools do a good job of not allowing those gender stereotypical subject choices. So you're right, girls into the humanities, the arts and so on, boys into the sciences, the maths and technology. And so we find actually that uh, schools can create really good environments where, where girls, and it, won't, it doesn't start towards the end of year 10 where you pick year, year 11 subjects. It starts way down as early as kindergarten uh, and uh, and then especially at the start of high school for example and uh, and so uh, whereas other schools tend to reinforce those stereotypes and uh, and and you we see big disparities in subject selection mm, maybe we need to do a bit of research before they get into school what, what does what does your school teach in the early years Andrew thank you so much for coming in it's a pleasure That was Andrew Martin. He's a professor of educational psychology at the University of New South Wales. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.